Alright, we are in Judges chapter 5 tonight, and I thought this was going to be a tough chapter to uh, preach a full sermon on, but as I started studying this, I'm like, oh my goodness, there is a lot more here than I thought there was, uh, and uh, we've got a lot to cover and a short time to do it, so we're going to jump right into this, but remember in chapter 4, uh, we saw the story of God delivering Israel from Sisera at the hand of a woman during a time when Israel was being led by a woman. And again, this is not a biblical endorsement of women leading men, but it is a, te- it is a testimony against Israel who is at a sad, starry state during this time. But also, it's a- another thing we need to remember too, is sometimes God would do things out of the ordinary uh, to teach something very important. And just because God would sometimes tell them to do something out of the ordinary. It was not him giving permission to do these things all the time. For example, God had the prophet Isaiah go around naked and barefoot, even with his buttocks uncovered, for three years. Now, that that does not mean it's okay for you to go around naked for three years. You would be wrong for doing that. But God did tell a prophet to do that. You know why? Because Israel should have been ashamed of their sin and so God's like, you know what? And you know what? That'd be embarrassing to have a dude going around your city completely naked for three years, especially when he's a prophet, a guy that people are supposed to look to. That's embarrassing. But you know what? Israel should have been embarrassed because of their sin. So God would have them do things out of the ordinary sometimes. And Isaiah wasn't a bad guy when he did that. He was being obedient to God. And I don't believe God's ever going to tell any of us to do it. And I really hope he does, doesn't. Because I definitely don't want to do that. But God did back then. And you know what? Yes, God called on Deborah to lead. Deborah was a prophet. We're going to see a pro- her, this, is, this song of Deborah. I was going to call it the song of Deborah. But as I started studying, I'm like, this is a prophecy. So we, I changed the title to the prophecy of Deborah. And this was something that was from God. But again, this is not permission for all you ladies to go out there and uh, start calling yourself prophetess and uh, trying to you know, run men. Okay, don't don't do that. But uh, this chapter, it can be a little confusing for a couple of reasons. And that's because for one, this is very poetic. It's a song. But then two, there's a lot of poetic references that it makes to different aspects of the battle that had taken place that the book of Judges doesn't record. So, um, you know, all we really know about this battle that was taking place is what went down between Sisera and Jael. That's pretty much all we know. But there was obviously a lot more to it. And so this song references many of those things. So it would have been very relevant to them. They would have known exactly what it was all about. But there's going to be details in this chapter. There's going to be verses we're just going to kind of read through. And I don't have a whole lot I can really say about it because uh, I wasn't there and we don't know all the details of what happened. But let's go ahead and start in verse 1. Um, before we start verse 1, 2, let's go ahead and let's say our prophets, all right? Anybody got their prophets memorized? So here we go. Yeah, somebody want to just say it? Oh, wait, we got Daniel there in the back. You want to say it? Who do we got? Nice, very good. All right, so he's got it. So say it all together. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah. Okay? And then next week, we're talking about Gideon. That's an easy one to remember, too. So if you got these four down... Uh, you're going to do good. We'll be on Gideon for a while. So it's, it's, it's going to get harder as we go, though. But uh, anyway, verse 1. 
It says, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves. And God always came through for Israel when they would obey him. And it says, Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. And I like this too because our praise should be public. And it's God, it was always God's desire for Israel to tell the world about his greatness. And so uh, praise is not something that should be a private thing. While you, should, you can praise God privately and you should praise God privately, you shouldn't be afraid to praise God publicly. We should be very public in proclaiming all the glory of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. We should always do that kind of thing. The world needs to know how great our God is. That, and Israel was supposed to be doing that. And so as they're singing this song of praise to God, this was a good thing. And it says, O Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. Now this verse is actually a very important verse that we need to focus on because we're going to see something mentioned a little bit later in this chapter that's mentioned in Psalms and it's mentioned in Ephesians. Okay, and that's that that phrase he you know the he led captivity captive. We see that phrase three times in the Bible. We see it in Ephesians, which is one of the main verses people use to prove that Jesus went down to good hell and delivered the Old Testament saints out of hell. That is one of the main verses that they use. And that, that is one of the worst possible interpretations you could possibly come up with. If you want to teach Abraham's bosom, you know what? There might be some verses that kind of sound okay. That one they absolutely should not use. And by the end of this message, anyone who still would use that passage to prove Abraham's bosom is just being stubborn. Okay, I'm not saying this message is going to debunk Abraham's bosom, but it would definitely debunk the use of that verse for that. And nobody should use that. And so I've heard people connect all three of these before. And I never really thought you should connect this mention of it in Judges because captivity captive is something very specific. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, I, I thought, you know what, just to make sure I'm going to compare some things that we see in the song of Deborah here in Judges and the song of David where that Ephesians is directly quoting when it mentions he led captivity captive. And when I saw the similarities there, I'm like, you know what? These things are definitely, definitely related. There's no, there's no doubt about it. So um, I was definitely wrong in thinking those were not connected. But I, do, so, but I want to talk about this uh, melting of Mount Sinai that is mentioned here because this is a very important event that they are referring to, that they're singing about, that in the theological world, I think we've done a poor job teaching the significance of this event on Mount Sinai where the mountains melted. This was a major event in Israel's history that if we ignore it, it will allow people to take certain New Testament passages and just run with it and go places God never intended people to go with it. But if we understand the significance of it, then nobody's going to be able to do that with us. And so turn over to Exodus chapter 19, because this is what it's referring back to. Exodus chapter 19. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to read as much of this as I can, as quick as I can. 
but it's, uh, we need to make sure we get a hold of a few things on here. It says, In the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And I wish I had time to talk about Peter. But I don't have time to go into that. And Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded them. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of this people, unto the Lord. Now, it looks like what we're seeing in this chapter here is God is about to come join himself with the people that he brought out of Egypt, with his people that he brought out of Egypt. And so God, they've said, they've agreed. They're going to keep the covenant of the Lord. God said, I'm going to come down on the mountain and I'm going to speak to you. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes, sanctify themselves, clean themselves up. They're about to be in my presence. Tell them to prepare themselves for this. And, and uh, be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into this mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he, that, he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. So he's telling them, don't you come up to the mount until I tell you. After the trumpet, when the trumpet sounds, then you can come to me. All right, y'all seeing a connection here, something we're kind of looking for in the future? We're looking forward to a trumpet sounding one of these days so we can go meet the Lord. And so it looks like we've got a trumpet that's about to sound that they have to wait for so they can go meet the Lord. But it says, Moses went down from the mount and the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up and the Lord said unto Moses, go down and charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. 
And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. And Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And then we see the Ten Commandments that God ends up giving him. But notice that when God came down that mountain and the trumpet sounded long, God showed up on that mount, but then you know what he told Moses? Tell them they can't come up here. They're, they, they're sanctifying that they did it themselves was definitely not enough. And so what we see here is God ends up giving Israel a law. God gives them a holy law that they needed to follow. And you know what? They agreed that they would follow the law. They agreed. We will do everything God said to do. But, and God told them, if you will keep my covenant, then you'll be a holy nation, a peculiar people and all these things. Now, let me ask you, did they keep the covenant? No. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is another key verse because here in Exodus 19, it doesn't give us these details, but later in Deuteronomy, it tells us a little more about what went down when God came down on that mountain and he spoke to the people. And notice what it says in Deuteronomy 18, 15. It says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. We know that's talking about Jesus. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore, that I die not. When that event took place in Exodus 19, the people got scared and they told Moses, Don't let that happen again. We don't want to hear the voice of God. They thought they were all going to die. And the truth is, they were so rotten, if they'd have gotten in the presence of God, they'd have died. And you know, don't get high and mighty. If we'd have been there and we'd gotten in the presence of God, we'd have died too. Because you know what? Sinful man can't be in the presence of a holy God. And God was doing something then to teach man something. But after they said, you know what? Don't let him do that anymore. It says, the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And so what happened? Generations later, God raised up a prophet of their own brethren, Jesus Christ. One that was like Moses. And you know what? They, according to the law of Moses, were supposed to listen to the words of Jesus. They were supposed to do everything he said. And God said, if you don't do it, I'll require it of you. Now, the dispensationalists are going to tell us God broke that promise to Israel and is not going to require it of them. He's going to save them anyway. Baloney, no, you reject Jesus Christ. You're done for. Hebrews 12, 23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Okay, and Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And what was the old covenant? The old covenant was those ten commandments that was given on Mount Sinai. And then it says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Talking about Jesus Christ. They refused God when he spoke to them in the mount. But now the writer of Hebrews is telling the Jews, Refuse not him that speaketh. Don't refuse Jesus Christ. This is that prophet that the Lord... Uh, was said he would raise up from your brethren. For it says, For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. 
whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, that which is referring to the old covenant, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So here's what you need to understand. When the Bible makes reference to Mount Sinai, it's making reference to Mount Sinai because that is where God gave them the law. That is where God gave them that old, that old covenant. And the law is what kept Israel in bondage. Y'all understand that? The law is what kept Israel in bondage. And that's why Jesus Christ came to preach liberty to the captives. And what, what held them captive? It was the things of the law. The law condemned them. The law held them. And we can go to many verses in the New Testament explaining that. I think we all get the concept that the law is what had Israel in bondage. It was their sin that always got them in trouble. And it was their transgression of the law. And so Israel, the law held Israel captive because they were sinful. Galatians 4.24, Paul speaking says, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. And pay very close attention to all these things I'm telling you, because we're going to see some symbolism here in Judges chapter 5. That it's like, I can't make up something like this. It's just, I, 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 stuff like this is what proves the Bible's the word of God. There's a lot of proof, but this chapter just blows my mind. And it says, For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answer to Jerusalem, which is now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So, I think we understand the concept now of Sinai being about bondage. And I think we all understand that Jesus Christ is, came to preach liberty to the captives. So, what happened in the last chapter, in Judges chapter 4? Israel was in captivity at the hand of Sisera. God defeated their oppressors, or God defeated their captors. Okay? Now, this would be a good opportunity to insert a prophetic message about deliverance from captivity. So let's keep all this in mind and let's read a little bit more of, Judge, of Judges chapter 5. Because these next verses too that we're, we're going to look at, they're hard to fully understand because, because again, the Bible doesn't record the details of what happened in chapter 4 with the entire battle. It mainly just focuses on Jael and Sisera. It mainly focuses on a woman piercing the head of Israel's captor. Okay? And keep, keep that in mind. Judges 5, 6. In the days of, so this is part of the song, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through the byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. Was there a shield or a spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. <clears throat> Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way, they that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts towards the inhabitants of his village, villages in Israel, 
Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. So there is that phrase, lead thy captivity captive. And again, that verse is used, or that phrase is used only two other times in the Bible. Now, let me just tell you what captivity captive literally means. What it, to lead captivity captive, that means you are taking your captor captive. The one that held you captive is now your captive. That's what that means. Now, that's important to understand too, because when a pe- people teach that Jesus leading captivity captive was leading the Old Testament saints out of hell, well, when did they hold him captive? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, that's... So that doesn't really work. That's not leading captivity captive. And since James gives absolutely no reference to, you know, them being captivity, you know, you're just inserting that because, and I don't have time to go in this, because somebody was reading the gospel of Nicodemus, which is not Bible. And I don't, I, I've preached a message on that. don't have time to get into that. I'll just say that to trigger people online who might be listening to this, but y'all, Y'all been getting your stuff out of the Gospel of Nicodemus, hate to tell you. But anyway, Psalm 68. So go ahead and look at Psalm 68. Let's look at uh, Ephesians 4. Let's look at these other references. It says, Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. So there's the reference in Psalms. And then in Ephesians 4, it's quoting directly from Psalms. In verse 8, it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, Abraham's bosom, amen, and he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Let me tell you, the best way to debunk bad teaching is to just preach the passage right. And I'm going to show you exactly what this passage means because it is, it's real clear what this passage means, especially when we put all these things together. So, again, it, uh, I do believe this passage in Judges is connected to this. And so, here's what I believe about this passage in Judges. I believe, of course, that it's a literal story of a literal event where God took Israel's captors and made them captives. I also believe this song was recorded because it was prophetic about the day when Jesus would someday come and conquer the things of the law that came from Mount Sinai that were that was holding Israel captive. That's what the prophecy is about. Not that he was going to one day lead them out of good hell. No, God, Jesus Christ is going to come one of these days and he is going to conquer those things of the law for you. And he is going to give you liberty through that. And so I believe this one because, first off, we're going to see the story fits really good. But also, um, we have in that song, we have a reference to Sinai, and when, which is when God gave the law. And it's the same thing that we see in Psalm 68. Because, again, I didn't really think these things were connected. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to check. I'm going to, I'm going to go through Psalm 68 and see if there are some things we can compare with David's song, with the song of Deborah, and the comparisons are definitely there. Without a doubt, they're there. And so go ahead and turn over to Psalms chapter 68. 
And so notice in verse 1, it says, Let God arise, let His enemies be scattered, let them also that hate Him flee, from, flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. And, and we're not going to go back and look at Judges 5 again, but they do kind of have you know, similar, similar beginnings where it's just kind of praising of the Lord. But then jump down to verse 7. We're not going to go through all of Psalm 68. It says, O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. So notice in this song too, that's also about God defeating his enemies, you know, physical, literal enemies, David, I'm not sure who he was fighting at the time when he wrote this, but you know, God defeated those enemies too. David in this song, he talks about God, you know, on Mount Sinai and about the mountains melting at his presence, just like the song of Deborah did. And then jump down to verse 17 in Psalm 68, it says the chariots of God are 20,000 even thousands of angels, the Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. The very next verse, after it mentions Sinai again, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God... The Lord belong the issues from death. Okay. Now, folks, this is this is pretty this is pretty big here. So first off, notice, you know, after he uh, talks about him ascending, or he mentions Mount Sinai, and then him leading captivity captive. And again, Sinai, that's the law. Leading captivity captive, that is something Jesus conquered the law through. His death. Okay, y'all understand? He did it through his death. Jesus Christ, what did he have to do to bring a salvation? He had to die in our place. And what came from his death? What because what is the issues of death? Okay, and an issue, okay, it's something that comes from something. Okay, it like in the Bible it talks about like a running issue, which is like something that's coming out of your body, which is gross. But right here it's talking about the issues of death. And what came from the death of Christ. Salvation. Right? And so, here we have Sinai, the law mentioned. We have leading captivity captive. Jesus conquering the things of the law. How did he do that? Through his death. And through and what came from his death? Salvation. Eternal life. For all of us. So, there's, there's no doubt that uh, that's what that's talking about. And so, when we go to Ephesians chapter 4, it says in verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, here's where everybody gets hung up. And this, is, this just shouldn't be happening. 
And it wouldn't have happened if, if somebody hadn't read the Gospel of Nicodemus and preached it like it was Bible. And I know everybody that pre- preaches this wrong will swear that they never read the Gospel of Nicodemus. And I, I know they haven't. But you listen to somebody preach who did. And that's why you say captivity captive is Jesus leading people out of good hell. And there is no good hell, but that's what people think it is. Uh, you know, that, that's, but anyway, let's... Uh, to help understand this passage, first off, notice verses 9 and 10 is a parenthetical statement. Okay? Now, let's read verse 8 and 11, and let's leave out the parenthetical statement so we can see what it's talking about for sure. Because everybody just mainly focuses on 9 and 10. Let's just focus on 9 and 10. What's that all about? That's what Jesus was doing for three days and three nights. Well, it's what he was doing for three days and three nights. But you know what he was doing? He was being dead. For three days and three nights. That's what he did. But it says, Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. What are those gifts? And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you know what this passage is talking about? It's explaining how when Christ died, all right, they are, or when he led captivity captive, he gave gifts unto men for the church, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, how was he able to do that? Okay, well, the issues of death. Okay, that is what came from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, salvation came from the death of Christ because Jesus defeated all things that were against us on the cross. And so when it adds that parenthetical statement, it's, it's adding that because all these gifts that Jesus gave, he was able to give those because of his death. That was the issues of death. Okay? Well, that's what came from death. Jesus was able to give salvation. Jesus was able to give gifts unto men. So when it says in verse 9, now that he ascended, what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Why did it have to bring that up? You know why it brought that up? Because Jesus had to die in order to be able to give us salvation. Because this is referring back to Psalm 68, where it talked about the issues of death. It talked about the salvation that came from death. And so, he that descended, or he that died, is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Because he didn't stay dead, he rose again from the dead. So, folks, when you see that that's what that's talking about, where in the world do you get bringing the Old Testament saints out of good hell from that passage? It's not there. It's not there in any way, shape, or form. You can't possibly do that. It's explaining the gifts that God gave to the church. You know what God gave to the church? And God gave these things to the church. He didn't give them to you. He didn't give them to your family. He, gave, he didn't give them to save people. He gave them to the church, pastors, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all those things. Why? For the work of the ministry. And so notice too, because of the death of Christ, He was able to give us those gifts. So the church, get this, so the church could do the work of God. Our, our work that we do, we are doing the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not on earth out soul telling people about himself. He gave that to us. 
Jesus gave the church the great commission. Jesus said, you go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. We are doing the work of the Lord as the church. Now, back to Psalm 68 and verse 21. Now, watch this. It says, But God shall wound the head of his enemies and the hairy scalp of such an one as goeth on still in his trespasses. Now, I think this is just a little too coincidental here because we see the reference after it talks about the death, after it talks about him giving gifts to men, it makes a reference to to the wounding of a head that's going to take place. Now, what did we see in chapter 4? You know what we saw? A woman who was, a woman smote a captor in the head with a spike and killed him and defeated him. And in Genesis 3.15, what does it say? It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Notice the seed of a woman. We see a woman being referenced, and we see the bruising of a head being referenced. We're seeing a lot of coincidences here that I don't really think are coincidences. We see in Romans 16, verse 20, it says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And think, and he's talking to the church. Now, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is referred to as a sheep. And Paul said that the Lord, that, uh, the, that God was going to bruise Satan under their feet. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the bruising of the head is going to take place through a woman. God's bride. She's the one that's going to do that. We as God's people, as a church, we are the ones that are going to bruise the head of Satan. And so... It's, 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 it's always a woman that gets the credit. In Genesis, it mentions the seed of a woman. In Romans, Paul talks about God is going to bruise Satan under her, their feet, the church, which is referred to as a woman. It's kind of hard to deny the symbolism here. And so understand that God defeated... It was God that defeated Sisera, but how did God do it? God did it by the hand of a woman. And, you know, God gets the glory for that. We see also that God will use the church, a woman, to bruise the head of Satan. But Christ gets the glory. It, it, these, these coincidences are just, they're just a little too many right here. And so it, this is just kind of a reminder to me that the Bible, it, it's, it's the Word of God. So that when we're looking at that story, you could say that Sisera, he is, he's like a picture of the law that held Israel captive. And you've got J.L. She is, she's just a woman that God chooses to use. A woman can't defeat a warrior like Sisera. But you know what? God helped her. And that's exactly what she did. And what did she do? She got him right in the head. And isn't it interesting too, in Deborah's song, it mentions, and we're going to see it too, it's referencing what she did to his head. In Psalm 68, where it also talks about leading captivity captive, it mentions, you know, the wounding of a head that takes place. And so let's go ahead and read the rest of Judges 5.13. And there's, there's no doubt that J.L., she she's a picture of the church. And 
So in verse 13 it says, Then he made him that remaineth to have dominion over the nobles among the people. The Lord uh, made me have dominion over the mighty. And this here, this reminds me of the millennial reign. Because what's going to happen? Okay, you know, when, when is all this going to come to fruition with the bruising in the head of Satan? You know, and I think it's going to happen, of course, at the return of Christ. But then you know what we're going to do? We're going to rule and reign over the earth. And so after we see all these things mentioned, it talks about having dominion over the nobles, uh, having dominion over the mighty. And it says in verse 14, out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Matra came down governors, out of Zebulun, they that handled the pen of the rider. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley for the divisions of Reuben. There were great thoughts of heart. Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead abode by Jordan. I think this is kind of just given the details of some of the things that went on with everybody. And why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives under the death in the high places of the field. The kings came and fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanak by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon. O my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horse hoofs broken by means of the prancings, the prancings of their mighty ones. Curse ye Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. And remember, this is a song, and I think what it's doing here in the song, I think it's pretty clear. We're seeing a picture of a woman being really sweet and taking good care of a man, you know, like a good woman's supposed to. You know, she asked for water, she brought him milk. You know, she brought him, uh, she brought him uh, butter in a lordly dish. She's using her nice china, trying to impress the guy, trying to, trying to get him relaxed, trying to keep him calm. She's acting real nice and sweet, just like you'd expect a lady to. But now we're about to see another side of her. It says, she put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer, she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed. He fell. He lay down at her feet. He bowed. He fell where he bowed. There he fell down dead. That just sounds good. I really wish we had the music for this song. And I would love to sing it in church. It would be a good one too. And you know what? You know what? Maybe somebody should write a song about this. And, and, And put the comparison. You know, put that in there of Jesus defeating the law for us. And I want to sing about put. I want to sing a song about putting a spike through somebody's head. I, I really do. And then I want to sing about nailing the devil in the head too. I, and uh, so somebody can write that song for me. I'm not trying to be carnal. That that sounds like it'd be a good rap too. I don't know, but no, we we, we won't do that in church. <laughs> it just it's I guess just because it's so violent. <laughs> so when I think of violent music, I think of rap music. But um, yeah, that wouldn't be very spiritual. But if if I ever do become a Christian rapist. Rapist, rap artist, uh, I'm doing a song about this. But anyway, 
don't think that'll ever happen. But listen, you know, I don't think it's wrong to celebrate and sing about the death of a wicked man like this, too. Again, this wasn't just somebody J.L. didn't like. This was an oppressor of Israel. This was somebody who was, uh, was hurting God's people. And notice, too, though, because, again, we're going to make comparison as a church. As a church, aren't we supposed to be, according to the Bible, nice, kind? Aren't we supposed to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves? But, you know, the Bible also says, too, we're more than conquerors. They're him that loved us. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, while, you know, we are, while we're supposed to be good and nice and kind and sweet and loving and all these things that the Bible talks about to people, you know what? Hopefully we're giving the devil nightmares. And you know what? One of these days, we are, we're going we're gonna to bruise his head. And I'm, I'm excited about that. And I'm all, I'm all for singing about that kind of stuff. And so it says in verse 28, The mother of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Her wise ladies answered her. Yea, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey? To every man a damsel or two? To Sisera a prey of divers colors, a prey of divers colors of needlework, of divers colors of needlework on both sides. Meet for the next of them that take the spoil. So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might, and the land had rest forty years. So here we have an, again another period of forty years of peace. That's just kind of a footnote in Israel's history. But folks, without a doubt, what we're seeing in this story of Jael and Sisera it is a beautiful picture of how God will one day bruise Satan with a woman, the church. And I do, I believe that's one of the reasons God did an un, a very unordinary thing in using a woman to judge during this time, using a woman to defeat this enemy, because understand that, again, God, okay, who, deli- who delivered Sisera? It was God, right? We all understand God gets the credit, but we're not wrong when we say that God used Jael to get the job done. We understand, we are very well aware of the fact that all, all glory goes to God for everything. But do you understand that one of the miracles that God is going to do is He is going to defeat Satan with us. A woman. We, we shouldn't be any... You know, we're, listen, folks, we're, we're nothing special. We have no power on our own. Satan is stronger than us. Satan is more mighty than us. You know, the law that condemns us, these things, they are all more powerful than us. But because of what Jesus did when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died, he descended to the lower parts of the earth. But you know what? He didn't stay dead. He ascended. And from the issues of death came salvation. And not just salvation, but he gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. God gave those gifts. And so God, God wants to use all of us. God wants to use all of us for the work of the ministry because God is doing a battle with Satan right now. And you know what? I don't know how it's all going to go down. I don't know how it's all going to play out. But I think it's going to end just like this one. And this sweet, lovable, wonderful, wise as serpent, harmless as dove, bride of Christ, is one day we're going to get to drive a spike through the devil's head.
And I'm excited about that. And we're going to sing about that. I'm not going to rap about it. We're going to sing about it in heaven. And it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be a good song. It's, it's going to be a great song. And right here, just again, it just shows God always knew what was coming. God always knew what was going on. You can't make this stuff up. You, you, cannot, you cannot make that up. There is no book in the world that can do what this Bible does. And so uh, these things are definitely connected. We have the Sinai reference, which is about the law, which is about bondage. And then we have, yeah, we have that you know, wounding of the head, all those things. And again, we're, we're only going to wound the head of Satan because he's not going to be completely dead just yet because we know we've got that thousand, after a thousand years, he's going to come back. We know how that, that all is going to play out. But either way, uh, God's always known what was going on. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful, amazing chapter. Lord, it's, just, it's, it's thrilling to just learn these things and to see uh, these truths in your word. Uh, there is no doubt that this is your book and that it's your word. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, if this did anything, it will just strengthen everyone's faith. And I pray, Lord, we'll get excited about the work of the ministry. I pray you'll uh, let us uh, or let you use us uh, to uh, do battle against Satan. And, Lord, we're looking forward to the day when you return and all this is over and we can see Satan defeated for good. And so we thank you for letting us be a part of it, for saving us and giving us the ability. In your name we pray. Amen.